0: This is the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast, session number 63. Who can be hypnotized? Welcome to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast with Jason Lynette, your professional resource for hypnosis training and outstanding business success. Here's your host, Jason Lynette. Hey there, welcome back. It's Jason Lynette here with a solo session this week or slightly a bit of a solo session as what you're about to participate in is actually a clip from my live training that I do here in Alexandria, Virginia, though it's also part of the Hypnotic Workers Library, which is my full hypnotherapy training available now online at hypnoticworkers.com. And the reason that I'm releasing this piece of content as a podcast session is that really it stands on its own as something that I truly feel the hypnosis profession needs to hear. There is some older information out there and in across the board, all different trainings, all different organizations, I feel there's a bit of an issue of us repeating things that our trainers said before. And by beginning to change the way we think about hypnosis, by beginning to change the way we talk about hypnosis, we can begin to get even greater results, bring the hypnosis profession fully into the future, and really begin to flourish and thrive in terms of all that we do. I mean, that's one of the primary reasons that I'm out there talking about business. Because you could have these wonderful skills, you could have these wonderful techniques, whether it's the ability to put on a stage hypnosis program, whether it's the ability to help someone produce change. Yet if you don't have an audience or you don't have that client in the chair, what good is it? And that's why coming up in Vegas this year, before the HypnoThoughts Live convention, I'm presenting Hypnotic Business Mastery, which is a two-day intensive business training for hypnotists. And this course is designed whether you are brand new to hypnosis and getting started, or it's also suitable for those people who are already out there working. I was... I was on the phone with a consulting student yesterday, and it's a great example where the concept of what I love to call and refer to as punch-up. Punch-up is actually a term borrowed from the comedy field, where very often before a movie goes into production, a group of comedians will sit around and review the comedy script of a movie and find ways to punch it up, make it funnier, make it work better. And in many ways, even for that seasoned professional, that person who is out there running their business, there are so many places that we as hypnotic business practitioners are leaving money on the table or perhaps not getting the best of results from the strategies that we're making use of. So whether you're brand new to hypnosis, whether you're already out there working and seeing clients, and you want to do it, as I like to say, more good or better, check out hypnoticbusinessmastery.com. That's my two-day event that's happening out in Vegas. Though, we've got to rewind the story back a little bit, and that's kind of where this content you're about to listen to really comes from. You know, if you go back to session number two, I believe, with Sean Michael Andrews, either two or three, there's a conversation that he and I have all about body warmth and hypnosis. And so many books that are out there, so many classic texts would talk about how someone's body becomes warmer when they're hypnotized. Well, Sean's a guy who has been hooking body temperature monitors up to all sorts of people and hypnotizing them. And here we are now finding that there really isn't conclusive data to really connect that statement. Some get warmer, some get cooler, some stay exactly the same. So again, it's a place where, that's a great example where we as practitioners have been repeating the same information over and over. So what about this conversation of who can be hypnotized and who cannot be hypnotized? Who makes an ideal candidate for hypnosis and Who doesn't make an ideal candidate for hypnosis? And I'll give you the Cliff Notes version right here, right now. My filter comes down to two simple bullet points. The bullet points being, can we have a conversation in which I can get you to willingly buy into the value of the change by way of this process? So again, can you and I interact So that immediately is going to fold in the categories or really fold out the categories of extreme mental disorder, someone who doesn't speak the language that I speak, children of a very young age. So bullet point number one, can you and I engage in a conversation? And bullet point number two, can I get you to buy into the value of the change that you're in front of me to create by way of this process? And with those two filters, honestly, it doesn't matter to me your ethnicity, your hair color, your socioeconomic background, whether you're a factory worker, whether you're a neuroscientist, whether you're a psychologist in my office, whether you're a computer programmer, whether you're someone who others would label as an analytical resistor, Or someone we would label as being in a profession that perhaps is often characterized by not being the engineer, not being all these other things. Again, the key bullet points I want to stress to you, can you and I engage in a conversation and can I get you to willingly buy into the value of the change by way of this process? We're about to jump into my classroom to hear this lecture on who can be hypnotized, though stick around to the end because the same reframing strategy is one that me and this class then pivot and begin to discuss in terms of how do we also position our own unique background as being the ideal background to be skilled and effective as a hypnotist jumping into that session with that client as well. So as you listen to this content, we're going to be reframing content of how we talk about hypnosis and who makes a good candidate for hypnosis. And as I like to say, no longer suggesting ourselves into a corner as to why someone has to be difficult. I forget if it pops up in this content, but it's the moment where a former student of mine calls me up. I'm in the Washington, D.C. area, and she goes, hey, I've got a guy, and I'll change the sports team here and make it another city for obvious reasons. Hey, I've got a guy. He's a member of the New York Yankees, and he wants to come to me to quit smoking. What should I do differently? And my honest response is simply work with him the same way you normally would. Why? he wants to quit smoking. Hypnosis is contextual in nature. How do you feel now? How would you rather feel? What are those things you're doing now? What are those things you'd rather be doing? And the honest statement is, the moment you convince yourself that that client is going to be more difficult to work with, well, the only person you're truly hypnotizing is yourself. So let's jump right in. This is session number three, stepping into my live classroom, part of the hypnotic workers content. Here we go. Who can be hypnotized? So let's take a few moments and actually discuss what it is about the individual client that makes them a good client or not. So it's interesting that there's been this game for probably the last hundred years And not to use the word negatively, though it's a word that's negatively used nowadays most often, there's this concept of often profiling our clients. So if they come from this ethnic background, if they come from this professional background, if they're within these age ranges, though it's something that I have a bit of a challenge reading and following because the moment I now have decided that this person is gonna be a difficult client, I am now filtering all of my decisions through that. In various books that you've had access to so far, and even discussions you might have had around hypnosis, you'd hear this phrasing of, quote, the analytical resistor. That because someone is analytical, that they're gonna be more difficult to work with. And they would often compartmentalize engineers, IT people, software folks, which is also IT. You know, scientists, even people within related professions, and understand ahead of time, the moment we are assigning that this person is going to be more difficult to work with, that is entirely your expectation, and I'd guarantee you at that point that's going to be your result. So for me, in the process, I'm here about 20 or so clients a week. There's high turnover because my business model is about raving fans rather than lifelong dependence. And we work together, they're out the door, and I am, hear this phrase in this segment purposefully, I am currently not doing anything active to bring in clients for Virginia Hypnosis. That's my little Ron Popeel section of my business. Why Ron Popeel, the Showtime Rotisserie Grill? You baste the chicken, you close the door, you hit the button, set it and forget it. So for me, Virginia Hypnosis is now a set it and forget it entity which is how you see me with the podcast. You see me, I'm here with you all right now training this class, video courses that I do. Because I have built up Virginia hypnosis to a level that I don't have to actively run it to bring in new people, that's how I have the time to do all the other cool stuff I'm playing with these days. What does that have to do with profiling our clients? Well, I really don't do anything too fancy to bring in referrals though a big chunk of my business is based on referrals. So hear that with the high turnover rate, I go into every session, again with those expectations, you are ready to make this change. I am not sorting for secondary gain. I am not projecting that you're going to be difficult because you are ready to experience this change. You are ready to go into hypnosis and I'm going to learn from you everything I need that's going to help me to make those choices inside of our process and consistently and call it law of attraction, call it secret, call it universe, call it law of concentrated attention, call it whatever you want, but that's my experience every single day here. There's, are there exceptions? Yes, but they are extremely, extremely rare. Because I'm going into the session, whether you're black, white, Muslim, Asian, Mexican, all these other combinations, whether you're this background or that background, whether you're 15 years old. My oldest client I can recall was 87 years old. And all that matters is you are here today in front of me because this is that point in your life where you are ready to make that change. And if that's my mindset, that's what I get. So it's again back to that phrase of the issue is far less about resistant clients. The issue is truly about inflexible practitioners. That's where the work needs to be done. There's the the one critique I have been given about this specific class that you're all in right now is one that I embrace like a badge of honor. You never brought in real people for us to practice with. We only got to practice our sessions with other people learning hypnosis, and that means it went perfectly. You're welcome, because I go into every session with the expectation that that's how it's going to go, and that's what I get. And it's really that straightforward in terms of that process. Now projecting the confidence, coming in with the experience, it's how practice makes perfect and specifically perfect practice makes it all better. So I give you these filters because we'll talk about some, we'll label them as older belief systems that consistently I feel it's time we all update. In terms of just the hypnosis itself, a former student going through this course at one point, it was a weekend-based format where we met Saturday, Sunday, skipped a few weeks, came back Saturday, Sunday, which is a cool way to do it because people can go off and practice, though you sometimes lose that first hour of the first day back because it's the whole wait, what are we doing? Where were we? So I like the format of the straight through. We tend to learn it much faster, much better. and. Her feedback was, well, I was around some of my family members and they were telling me that hypnosis is weird and they've heard all these things about hypnosis. I think I'm going to call it something else. To which my response was, and I sincerely stand by this statement, the issue is not what they were saying. The issue is you were agreeing with them. Be your own best spokesperson. Be your own best example of the work. I have been to a hypnotist to work on things myself. I can point to things that I've changed by way of self-hypnosis. In some small way, the changes in terms of my health and the growth of my business, I can directly point to hypnosis. And it came, yes, on one side of things from the mindset of be your own best role model, be your own best you know, spokesperson. So it's that place where we don't have to be perfect to be the practitioner. The only challenge I would see is that if it's something that you feel you should be addressing in your life and you are not willing to even go into the conversation of hypnosis to address it, then you're a hypocrite and I'm going to judge you. So here we are at a local meetup. It's not the one that I host. And there's this woman that has a fear of driving at night and specifically around around trees. And I'll change her name because there was a whole big show about this every single month Oh, who's going to pick up Jennifer? Jennifer doesn't drive in the dark. Jennifer doesn't drive under trees. She's afraid of it. Stop it. Stop it. Yeah. (laughs) So it's a moment where um, I just politely sat back one day and I just had to go, you know, and she's talking about it. She's in her pattern. Yes, maybe there's some secondary gain because here's all this spotlight that she's getting for holding on to this issue to which I just finally had to sit back and go, you know, hypnosis works really well for fears. And she hasn't talked to me since. (laughs) I, I do presentations at conventions. One of the most requested talks that I do is how I produce online videos. The technology, but also the application of what I talk about. And it's like lighting the fuse and waiting to go off when the hand goes up. But I'm not comfortable on camera. What do you suggest? You know, hypnosis works for that. Because the moment the red light is on, that is my best friend, that I am talking to somebody who I sincerely care about, and that's who I'm communicating with. Which, by the way, again, I'm not teaching rapport here because that's a whole other class. But in that moment that the client walks in, yes, there's techniques of rapport-building skills of sit like they sit, use their words, nod when they nod, breathe at the same pace. We can shortcut all of that. The moment you're in the room, you and I are already in rapport. I have already decided that we're in sync, we're in the right mode, and that's how it's going to go. And sure enough, that's the result I get consistently. I am projecting that rapport on you as if we already had it, which that alone breaks down so many barriers. So when you hear the exceptions about who would be a good hypnosis client or who would not be a good hypnosis client, again, For me, it's always going to come back to willingness to change, readiness to create that change. So are there exceptions that need to be pointed out? My filter is always, as well, as long as we can actually have a conversation and I can get you to consciously buy into the value of the change. So by adding in that filter, it automatically now weeds out some of the categories that in the past people would have said would be exceptions. So... We're talking really, really young children, small infants. Yes, because I can't necessarily... Max is really smart at almost three years old, but we're not yet to the place where we can have the full conversation of, hey, what's it going to be like when you've done that? Because everything is very much right here, right now, in the mode of this experience. So where they would say, infants and children lack hypnotizability, Well, I would bring that back to the conscious filter of I cannot get you to consciously buy into the value of the change. On the other end of the spectrum, where suddenly now we're in an age bracket thing and maybe there may be some sort of deterioration over the years and it's a person at the other end of the life spectrum. And again, we're not able to have that conversation. I'm gonna negate all the stuff out there that says, over this age or under this age, Because we end up much better off when it comes back to willingness to change as well as the ability to consciously buy into the value of the change. Are there things to be aware of as we talk about this? Yes. When there's, to say it politely, situations going on that perhaps you are not qualified to diagnose. Those are clear examples uh, of exceptions. So, again consciously being able to buy into the change though i do have an example and this is a horrible story and i hate it it makes me sound really clever in the story but i don't like the result of the story woman calls me up and she goes and i read this article i think it was about a hypnotist by the name of paul mckenna that he was working with someone who was autistic and was able to break through my daughter is autistic and she barely communicates can i bring her to you and i openly said. I have never worked on this before. Though I tell you what, could you do tomorrow around four? Yeah, I've got the time open. Just come in. Well, how much is it? Don't worry about it. Just just come in. And back to my perceptions of the process. You are ready to make the change. Daughter's in the chair. Daughter's 28, though according to mom, daughter's kind of on the level of being about four or five. And I'm talking to the daughter directly. Now, mom is doing most of the communication, but I'm talking to the daughter. And this is where the story gets awkward. As mother goes, you know she doesn't understand what you're saying. And I have a decision to make here. And I just simply respond, if I buy into that premise, there's no point in us being here together today. So anyway, and I go back to the daughter and I keep talking and she interrupts me again. You know she doesn't understand you. Again. If I believe that, there's no point of us being here today. So we are going through the process, and I'm mostly in a storytelling mode, and then I begin to fold in some of the hypnotized with conviction stuff, and I'm getting getting full 100% compliance in these moments. Squeeze the hand into a fist, extend it out in front of you, and mom is off to the side, and this is where I will harshly judge, because mom is going, (sighs) which... (laughs) who should have been in the chair is the better question. So, which unfortunately, because of whatever dynamic was going on that, I mean, calls and emails were not returned after that. But something was kind of breaking through there is what I'm getting at. But I don't know, and I'm not going to judge. I've already judged. I'm not going to label too harshly in terms of what was going on. But that's a category where typically would say under this specific IQ level, That's going to be a specific challenge. But again, what's the filter I gave you before? Being able to consciously buy into the value of the change, which is going to be the filter already, and it's only secondary that perhaps there's some sort of disorder, some sort of thing going on with the IQ level being low. Uh, Likewise as well, I think I told the story on a break yesterday that um, I had a guy who came in and he uh i will say this next statement with full respect to the psychological profession but i also say the statement to harshly judge this individual there's a nice introduction because he's the guy who got a master's in psychology 40 years ago decided he didn't want to be a psychologist and then went into law and clearly 40 years later he's an expert because yeah yeah because 40 years ago i took a i took a bunch of so again that's not a judgment on that profession it's the whole, um, I used to work a lot with actors, and you know, an actor does a checkoff play, and all of a sudden, they're the expert in Russian history. No, you know that play. You know Three Sisters. Congratulations. Four hours later, can I get my time back? Man, that one's long. So <laughs> to look at this filter, though, again, of that IQ, I can name people who were card-carrying members of Mensa, as this guy was that we would say the higher IQ may make them more qualified. By the way, let's just call it out as it is. When you hear the stage hypnotist, and I've been guilty of this one saying, only people with high IQs can experience a state of hypnosis. Well, what they're really saying is if I send you back to the audience, you're stupid. But they're saying it in a very positive way. And it's the carrot at the end of the stick dangling for those volunteers up there to go, I want to stay up here. I want to stay up here. Though I can name people who were brilliant geniuses, based on the labeling, that were outstanding clients. And I can also name some that were absolute pains the entire way through. He's the one who looked at me and goes, you know, I've read most of those books you have up there, and I've taken courses on hypnosis too. There's nothing you can say to me that I haven't already read myself. And what did I do? I just sat back and smiled. And how's that working out for you? (laughs) He goes, that's why I'm here. It's like, good, so we're going to have fun today. And the work was easy from that point forward. So again, the places where hear the phrasing positively, where there's something going on that perhaps you are not qualified to diagnose, these are going to be clear exceptions. I think is the most respectful way to phrase that. You'd often hear these ideas of, again, certain professions, certain backgrounds, certain work histories or educational histories being Either good, favorable, or not so good and not so favorable. But again, willingness to change. Can I get you to consciously buy into the value of the change? That's going to trump everything. Because you would often hear, oh, the factory worker is going to be great because they're used to doing the same repetitive tasks day in, day out. But I would ask the question, if suggestibility is really the ability to take in information, measure it, and then decide whether or not we put it into use, you can realize now that the CEO, the president, the person who has risen to high power has had to be highly suggestible the whole way through to reach that. When meanwhile, this one may not. Then again, here's my client recently who is the CEO of a multi-billion dollar company who took a job at Home Depot part-time because he decided, I missed the interaction. And I also, I love this one, he goes, I wanted to exercise more and get in better shape and I wasn't motivated to go on my own, so I made sure they put me in the warehouse lifting boxes. Really? He goes, yeah, I lost 20 pounds. He goes, I did Christmas deliveries with UPS last year. And for a split second, I went, that's a good idea. (laughs) Uh, So it's where there's always going to be exceptions to the rule. Willingness to change, consciously be able to buy into the change. People would say soldiers, military personnel would make outstanding clients. And indeed, I can point to the fact, I mean, look on the Virginia Hypnosis website. I offer a 10% military discount. On one side of things, I think it's a great thing to do. I'm also in an area where a big majority of my clientele are military. I can also name, them, and they've been fabulous clients. I can also name several that have been absolute pain in the asses the whole way through. Willingness to change and consciously buy into the value of the change. So again, this place where there's going to be exceptions, and I don't want us to ever fall into the trap of, I really want you to sort them all to say, this is going to be easy. We got this. That's the expectation I go into every client session with. Religious, overly religious people, you know, the orthodox, the cultist, understand that it's rather interesting that many people's perceptions of hypnosis and religion are based on anecdote. From my research, only two religions have officially printed the word hypnosis. Christian Science, which to do some research, it's all wide open information. Mary Baker Eddy, founder of the Christian Science Movement, actually had miraculous changes in her life by way of hypnotism. And as she began to found her style of that religion, this is a rough characterization, but basically, let's uh, get rid of the competition when you look at the natures of what Christian science is about. And oddly enough, this is a story that was recounted to me when I was at a book festival with my books and DVDs and CDs next to the Christian science monitor. Oh, Oh, this is going to be fun. And his brother had quit smoking with hypnosis, so he was a big raving fan. Uh, And I believe also, um, whether it's in Dianetics or something else within Scientology, there's references in there. So I met a local high school years ago, And the principal calls me up to say, uh, just so you know, we're going to do the program, but some parents might be there in protest. Okay, do you know what what, what they are? He goes, well, they're Roman Catholic. It's like, well, this is interesting because we find ourselves in a scenario where you and I now know the more up-to-date knowledge within their religion, and they might not, because there have been two specific instances where the Pope officially approved hypnotism. But you and I can't be the ones to tell them that, otherwise it may come across as confrontational. And I don't think that's going to help anybody. I have to assume that they're going to be respectful. They may be there with signs. They may say something to me. But you know them better than I do. Do you think they'll interrupt anything? He goes, they won't. It's like, okay. you know, Let's do the program and we'll sort things out as we should. So again, it's a place where they were, because I am this, this is bad. But then again, their religion officially from the top down said, this is okay. By the way, these library references are actually on your uh, disc that I'll give you later on. So there's another example. I mean, I'm, it's a place where, oddly enough, a little bit of sleight of mouth, a little bit of just education gets the point across. There are, I, I'm also someone who is convinced that everybody claims they live in the Bible Belt. You know, you're going to hear that phrase for so many different locations. And I know of hypnotists who fold in a lot of faith into the process and people who don't. It's where I have to quote the brilliant late George Carlin, who simplified the Ten Commandments down to one. Thou shalt keep thine religion to thyself. And I love that. It's how, I mean, hop on social media and look at people interacting about the upcoming election Opinions are like, yeah, I fell in the gaps there. (laughs) So it's where you can argue, but at the end of the day, you're still going to have the same opinions. It's one of those polarizing conversations. So how do I respond to it? Oddly enough, this next phrase I'm about to say is a bit of a disconnect and somehow explains everything. Well, what's interesting is that you say that it's against hypnosis. However, the word hypnosis was only invented in 1875 true fact. And some people would point back to the Bible that in Genesis, God put Adam into a deep sleep and removed a rib. So look at that. It's painless surgery by way of hypnotism. But that says sleep. And in hypnosis, you're not asleep. So that must be something else. Oh, okay. Which is this moment of going, it was really that easy just to overcome that little bit of a speed bump. Forget whose quote it is, but someone had a line about, uh, and I probably haven't used this one, I don't think, but I love it. Well, you know what if there really were evil spirits they probably would have gotten to you a lot sooner before you came here to quit smoking i don't know about that one but i love it (laughs) i would argue the same part of the brain using hack neuroscience the same part of the brain that can make somebody so violently opposed to the concepts of what we're talking about here are probably the same parts of the brain that would make them a raving fan of it there's that place of extremism to one place to another Though, oddly enough, I've had the best way to explain my approach is, again, the belief system of the person in the chair. That's all that matters to me. That's all that matters. So here is this magical day where I get the full gamut in one day. First guy's coming in, and I may be getting the order out of sequence here. He's quitting drinking, but suddenly he's pointing his finger at me. If you mention God or Jesus once, I'm walking out of here. I went to that AA meeting and all they tried to do was shove religion down my throat. I had an ace in the hole with this guy. Because in the area I used to know of, the atheist group that was the Alcoholics Anonymous. And I think they were in the city Annandale. So they were the (laughs) AA. To which I said that and it's this beautiful moment where all the animosity dissolved right away. Really? Yeah, I think they meet over here. You might have to look on the website and find them. He found them. He went to a meeting. They were going, some members were going on a ski trip, and he went on a vacation with some of them, with people who were also taking a vacation away from their trouble. With a flip of a switch, the I'm not going there. Oh, that one's a match for me. And I'm convinced that was part of why he did so well so quickly. He found another circle of influence to surround himself with. Here's the woman who came in, and she writes on her form, God's temple. She's quitting smoking. And with enough knowledge, I know her perception is if I continue to smoke, I'm 72 years old. I'm getting up there. If I keep smoking, God's not going to let me into heaven. That's what our session was about. The fun one. She comes in and I may be the, not the full, the full covering, but the headdress. It's Sari or Hari. What's the Muslim terminology, sorry. She's got that, and she's written on the form for quitting smoking as well, my husband said I need to quit smoking. Now, for everything else we discussed, well, what's in it for you? Is that your goal? But immediately, I asked the question, and I'm finding out from her perspective, within my faith, I need to honor and respect my husband, and he asked me to quit smoking, and that's why I'm here. The fun of the moment is when I asked, does he know you're here doing it this way? He goes, and she goes, I felt it was more important to quit than for him to concern himself with how I I stop. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, and followed by, and I'm paying cash today. It's like, okay. (laughs) And she did wonderfully. It's a few weeks later, and I've got uh, a former Navy chaplain who is here because she's now becoming an opera singer, and she wants to... uh, she wants to improve her confidence on stage. Now, by way of how the process worked out, we decided to make use of hypnotic age regression, which in most cases, I'd say 99.9% of the times that I do it, we're staying within the lifespan of who they are right now. Though there are rare exceptions where they spontaneously go to past life, which she does. And I'll share with you the strategies of what to do if and when that happens. We resolved it. We paced it forward. Again, it's the slingshot pull back with the intention of letting go. We ran the process. She resolved it. It's the end of the session. She goes, Did I bring you there or did you bring me there? To which I just went, You brought me there. She goes, Well that changes a few things. Uh, (laughs) There is a hypnotist who I know that got in trouble because she was bringing a lot of scripture, a lot of teachings of Jesus into her sessions in a predominantly Jewish community, working with kids. Which I've got to say it simply, you idiot. Not Not appropriate, yeah. So it's where the belief system of the person in the chair, that is what matters. I have only ever been pressed by like two or three clients, well, what are your belief systems? What are you? And I give them the real honest answer. I was raised with half the family being Jewish and the other half being Southern Baptist pig farmers. <laughs> if I bring mine in, I'm going to confuse the hell out of you. Let's just rely on yours. And somehow they just go, okay. <laughs> so other things that may begin to increase or detract, there's a place, the environment somehow helping out as well. So this is the whole B-I-C-E from uh, Roy Hunter, the belief, imagination, expectation, credibility, which again, by the time they're here in my office, they've already been interacting with me online. They've already been interacting with my videos. They're walking in, they already know me. They're seeing the classroom. It's building up that credibility bump more and more. Why do I reference that? Because would you accept on some level that now that you're in the doctor's office, Assuming you have credibility for that doctor, as you should, here you are in that environment and what they say now has power to stick. The most brilliant moment ever was the doctor who did my laser eye surgery. You're welcomed into the office. You sit in a room with a little couch and there's a big flat screen TV and you watch a movie that explains most of the things about the surgery and perfectly lined up. Here's the celebrity. Here's the sports star. Here's the astronaut talking about how this doctor has changed my life. And his face is also in the video as well as he's explaining the procedure. And I'm convinced he is on the other end of the door with his ear up to the door, waiting for the moment for the music to fade out at the end as he walks in the door. Jason, so good to meet you. It is perfectly timed because his face is in the same spot as here's this sports star, here's the man who flew through space, here's this person. He's positioning himself as their peer and suddenly he walks in and he calls you by first name as the whole. If he had the low rolling fog yeah. <laughs> it would have not been overkill in that moment. He was building up that credibility in that moment. I am not a squeamish person, but the whole procedure of, yeah, we're going to cut the cornea, we're going to lift the flap. I'm the one going, just don't tell me what you're doing. I did enough research to know you're who I should have in my eyes. Mm -hmm. Just do what you got to do. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And again, there's some thinking about the analytical person, though I love the example of Larry Ellman, Dave Ellman's son, who Larry would openly share the history himself that He stepped away from hypnosis for like 30 or 40 years because he was in the Air Force and you don't have to be a rocket scientist to be a good hypnotist. But Larry was a rocket scientist. And there he was at MIT with his fellow rocket science students doing hypnosis with them for study and test improvement. Tell me that analytical people do not make good clients. In fact, what I'm always looking for is what is that in? What is that foot in the door that's going to make this process even better? Because all of a sudden, you realize this opens up all sorts of metaphors I can possibly use with that client. You know, There's a whole principle of going into the control room of your mind and making changes. And now that I know they've got a connection to what that environment is, I can now get a little bit more specific. My phrasing is always, I steal from the, from the best. I plagiarize like crazy, but I steal from my clients. What do I mean by that? When I learn what you're interested in, when I learn what your background is, so do you think when here's this man who came to the office and reveals that he's a painter, you think in the session I'm using descriptive language to begin to paint the image of what, that's a model that works for him. There's a whole segment coming up later about a safe, peaceful place, and I'll teach you how to do hypnotic imagery without doing hypnotic imagery for a simple reason. Your dream location is someone else's nightmare. Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna take people to the beach and walk around and I'm thinking I am burned in five minutes. Beautiful walk through the forest, bugs, wolves, bears, (laughs) not comfortable for me. Roughing it's the Motel 6. So your dream location is someone else's nightmare. But I find out you've just been on this vacation and you had a wonderful time. And there's things that now I know about you that tells me I get to use them as imagery throughout the process, which I'll give you the shortcut version of it now. Colleen, can you think of a vacation you went on recently that you enjoyed? Yeah, Chicago. Chicago. Did you have a good time there? Okay, good. You hear the follow-up question? <laughs> Did you have a good time there? Mm-hmm. I went to Chicago, and there you are walking through the cities. We were mugged twice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll leave it behind. Move on. So again, it all comes back to willingness to change and the ability to consciously buy into it. So I'll fold in. What about when English is the second language or third language or even fourth or fifth as I've had before? Again, can I get you to consciously buy into the value of the change? Man calls me up. And I won't attempt an accent, otherwise it it'd be offensive, and i do it horribly. But his story basically was, did you see Eat, Pray, Love, or Read the Book, where basically, in the movie, Julia Roberts goes over to... Bad relationship ends, she's now in Italy, she falls in love, the guy is like half her age. That was basically him, but the difference is she married him over there, and now she he's in this house. She's early 50s, he's 22, and her teenage children are in the house as well. And he calls up, and his English, as he says it, is, my English is only as good as about a 10-year-old. To which I respond, well, I can hear what you're saying, and it seems you're understanding me, and as long as we're able to communicate, even in this format and conversation, we can do hypnosis together. There's a fun anecdote to the story, which is that I set up an idiomotor response. If I ever use a word that you don't understand, you don't have to think of it. That little finger will just pop up on its own. And only once during the session, the finger popped up. I'd use the word compound. And he knew compound, as in this thing plus this thing equals that thing. All the ingredients of bread become a chemical compound and now become bread. But he did not know compound, as in now there's yeast in the bread and it's rising and compounding bigger and bigger. His feedback was, not only did I let go of my anger, I also learned a new word. Love that. (laughs) But recently there's this woman who calls me up and, oh, it's terrible. When I'm driving on the highway, I am terrified. I've got the before. I need her to consciously buy into the after. How would you rather it feel as you're on the highway? Oh, and the other day someone cut me off and I just pulled over to the side of the road and I cried, we're stuck in the problem. Thank you for sharing that, I hear what you're saying, but, that was an intentional but. How would you rather feel? We work together, you're over this and I'm leading now in an appropriate way. We're okay to lead towards the change. You're now driving and it's different. How would you rather it be? Oh, it's always been. I can't get her to get into it. Yet I'm recognizing some traces of the accent and I ask, what language are you the most comfortable with? And she says it. And I know of a hypnotist in the area who that's also his first language. Oh, great. Here's the number. Give him a call. They work together. She did great. So it was a place where, again, I could not get her to consciously buy into the value of the change simply because the language barrier was there. There's a hypnotist in the area that was going to go down to Brazil, and I am all about all things healing, but he goes, well, it's the energy of the process that does the healing, and I'm convinced I can work with these people in South America who don't speak English and get results. And I held back from giving my opinion, but he came back and he goes, yeah, I couldn't even get the process to work. It's like, well, there still has to be conscious understanding. Compliance precedes suggestibility. He couldn't get them actually buying into it. Now, are there exceptions of how that could have done? Of course. So again, you hear of back to age. You know, the younger ages are perhaps more hypnotizable. And I would actually say from a very different filter, respectfully, they got a lot less baggage to have to sort through. It's easier to excite the imagination. So when I'm working with the 7 to maybe 12-year-old range, there's a lot more storytelling. There's a lot more imagery. There's a lot more play inside of the process. And later on, there'll be a whole module just on working with kids and how I do it. In our modern society, I'm convinced 12 and up, you're basically working with a little adult. The difference is how do you handle the parents around the process as well. And again, there's a whole module on that coming later. But the same way I work with the adult is the same way I work with the 12 to 18 year old as well. 18 to 21, you'd start to see an increase, but maybe a decline. What I'd point to is there's probably a good reason you see most stage hypnotists working in the high school and the college market. But then again, the side filter I'd throw in, I come out on stage and I give a very thorough pre-talk. However, I am certain in those environments Hey, who wants to come up here and do some stupid stuff and have fun? And I'd pack the stage. The pre-talk is there for the person cutting my check. Mm -hmm. Just say it respectfully. So highly impressionable things. The person who is sensitive, the person who is a little neurotic, the person who is a little nervous, uh, as opposed to the person who is calm, at ease, kind of on top of things. Which one would make the better client would be an interesting question. I'd have to ask, first of all, why is the second one in your office? So there's always gonna be everything in my book is an emotional issue. How do I know you're qualified to help me out? Well, miss, the reason that I get results with these people with these silly little issues is that I also work with them in terms of what's that feeling that's making you now reach for that food. What's that feeling? What's that thought that's making you now engage in this behavior that you know for a fact you don't want to be doing? So rather than stick a band-aid over the behavior, we're also resolving that deeper issue as well. So honestly, you don't have the silly little issues that are distractioning us away from it. So your issues, is the more direct way to address this. So it's that mindset again of, We'll get into conversations sometimes about loss of control. Now, I never want this phrase to be confrontational, but recognize they are coming in, and at its core, the goal of our process is to help them to reclaim control. There's something going on that they're not doing yet. You know, well, I don't know how well I'll be hypnotized. I have to be in control all the time. And I'm probably not going to go here with my clients. Okay, is that why you're going through the drive-thru on the way home from work and you're eating in secret and you're getting really emotionally eating these foods? They don't have that control. The process is about if we can summarize every change issue that comes into the office, it's always about helping them to take back control of those parts of life that here, my filter here, may have seemed as if it was out of control up until now. But again occupation, ethnicity, age, geographic considerations, willingness to change, the ability to consciously buy into the value. That's going to overpower everything else. Because I've had the one that this book says is not going to be so great of a client, but probably one of my best clients ever. My favorite client ever. I'm allowed to pick favorites, especially this kid. 14 years old. And on one side of things, as I'm interacting with mom... I'm realizing, oh, that's what we're working on, to say it politely. They're in the lobby area. I'll change his name. I find out, and this is a moment where all of a sudden I look like a genius because they mentioned that John is going to a wellness camp over the summer, which I used to work at a uh, summer camp up in upstate New York, which oddly enough, my anecdote was, oh, quote, that's the fat camp that actually we used to hang out with their counselors at the bar in Lock Sheldrake, New York, because that's all there is in Lock Sheldrake, New York. There's Stage Door Manor, which, fun fact, if you've seen the movie Pitch Perfect, most of the people in that movie were my campers. The girl who projectile vomits in the movie was in a play that I did in Baltimore, and even better, she fell off the stage opening night, and she broke her leg, and she did the rest of the run in crutches. So I'm watching the movie as she's projectile vomiting, and I'm going." I've seen her do worse. (laughs) Real nice girl. So it's the whole moment of, oh yeah, he was my camper. He was my camper. She was one of the campers. There's like, oh, cool. So then there's also the wellness camp. Notice I was editing the language because mom said wellness camp. And 14-year-old John goes, mom, it's called a fat camp because I'm going to leave all my fat at the camp. 14-year-old has just reframed everything for himself. He's done better hypnotic language patterns than I can come up with. Oh, well, cool. I know that camp. I was up there for a while. Anyone who's about the same age of me remembers Salute Your Shorts on Nickelodeon, Camp Onawana. Camp Onawana was right down the road. It's a real place. But they also filmed the show during the winter where it was freezing, apparently. Anyway, so uh, oh, how long is he going to be there? Well, you know, he can go up there for as long as he likes. You know, he can just do a two-week trial and, you know, then come home from there. Mom, I'm going to be there for all 13 weeks. It's going to be the best summer of my life. I'm not going to have to work hard with this kid. (laughs) Granted, we were working on something else. He had a medical situation that by way of referral, that's what we were addressing, but... He had stated his goals. He could consciously buy into the value of the change, and he was willing. And when we did a session when he came back from the summer camp, I mean, he was an entirely different person. So, But I love that story of that was probably one of the most motivated, ready to produce the change people I ever saw, when meanwhile, here is the 60-year-old coming in that all the old criteria would have said would have been the ideal client, and it was like pulling teeth to get that process in motion. We got there. It just took longer than it needed to. So any questions on this in terms of, you know, when we're talking about hypnotizability, we would often point to these things in older ways of thinking about the process. Though I'd ask you, do you see how these filters now begin to have us looking for what is the advantage of this client? What is the strength of this client? What is unique about you that is now every reason why this is gonna go so wonderfully well? Full credit to Jeffrey Ronning for a strategy that I love. As a stage hypnotist, I have referred to this now as the kissing of ass technique, which is the he will get up in front of that group of people and he will immediately profile that audience and tell them why they are such great hypnotic subjects. in scenarios that typically other people would say, great, I've got a convention of accountants coming up. This is going to go well. As opposed to what's wonderful about working with accountants is I find that you all easily go into hypnosis. Easily go, yeah, embedded commands the whole way through. Because your attention to detail that is necessary to balance books and track the accounting is the same style of attention to detail that I have to have up here working with a group of people that are so unique and talented. What's happening now in the audience? Oh, yes, I am so unique. I'm going to do wonderfully up here. He told the story at one point of a convention of psychologists of course, you all make wonderful hypnotic subjects because as psychology students over the years, you're all aware of the teachings of Milton Erickson, and you already have a familiarity with hypnosis, and because of that, you'll do wonderfully up here. They're all sitting in the audience going, yes, I, Milton Erickson, I know exactly who that is, <laughs> when the majority are going, yeah, who the hell is that? But i am going to nod my head, which I do that constantly now. Oh, what's great about working with teachers? Oh, what's great about working with this? Which, by the way, let's bring it back to ourselves. Let's throw in some business strategy here, even on the early days of the class. Your previous experience is the exact experience you should have at this point to help your clients. So... um, and this is a place of stump jason someone throw something out there as part of your background history and i will spin it to show you why you are more qualified to help your clients than i am what's your background what's LAPD you lapd rookie what's that lapd rookie ooh police department beautiful so from the challenges that's necessary of working in a police department in a major city that's often known for having high crime rates and special needs true statement so far I learned how to work in rather sensitive and time sensitive, people sensitive and time sensitive situations. And by doing so, how to navigate people from a place of challenge, to a state of solution and authority in a short span of time. And I take my experience as being in the LAPD into my hypnosis process to use those same skills to navigate you to that change even faster. Kind of cool, right? Yeah, this is actually gonna be the podcast session this week, so you'll have a recording of it. What else are you? <laughs> okay, how about um i just an example from one of the guy I tried to work with Yeah. He really wanted to change. He mm-hmm. really did like him. what was he? Let's get to the question. He was the question is um, he couldn't be hypnotized. I can't be hypnotized. I really want to change. I want yeah, to this which is not the example that I was looking for. What was his background? Now understand, let's address it briefly. I can't be hypnotized. What does that mean? He was not listening to your pre-talk. And the pre-talk that we've learned here and in the podcast at session number one, the all positive pre-talk, he is sorting still by way of his definitions as opposed to the ones that you have explained to him in the process. So as they walk in, I cannot be hypnotized. It's often helpful to understand this is a whole other conversation outside of the scope of what we've been talking about the last 45 minutes, which is why I'm gonna give an overview, but I'm gonna make sure we're in the criteria of what we're talking about right now. But consistently, that issue is he is sorting for something else that it is not. His background, yes, he had post-traumatic stress. Okay, so, well, post-traumatic stress, Well, to look at it, you are no longer in that situation, and yet your mind is replaying that same sequence over and over, which at its core, the goal of a hypnotic process is to make a suggestion and have your mind begin to compound it naturally on your own. So what's interesting is working with somebody with fill-in-the-blanks, PTS, anxieties, and fears is that in some small way, by definition, hypnosis is the ability to take in a hypnotic suggestion and integrate it deeply and profoundly in a short span of time. And we're going into this process already with somebody who has done that before. And today I'm going to show you how to do it even better. Sound good? Yeah. But the phrase, I cannot be hypnotized, is I've got to say it your pre-talk has gone in one ear and out the other they are still sorting by way of their own perceptions the story will come later here's the guy well it didn't work i heard every word you said and i had to sit there and say i know that's the first thing i told you you'd be aware of you're going to hear everything i say you're going to remember as much as you would from any normal conversation so let me actually rewind our process and let me and and i said it to be a little blunt with him let me now tell you everything I already told you last week, and this time I'd encourage you to listen. And I went through the pre-talk, and at the end of it, he goes, well, I wish you told me that last week. (laughs) And I just reiterated, I know, I did tell you. I wish last week you would have listened. (laughs) And it was the polite, let's label it, it was the polite bitch slap that I intended it to be, but from that point forward, our process went phenomenally well. But the one who walks in the door I cannot be hypnotized is holding on to a set of criteria that may not actually be the criteria of the session. Fair statement? Yeah. That is a character trait that they are choosing to hold on to. If you had the ability to take in that experience, if you have the ability to watch a movie and get swept up in the story, if you had the ability to drive to the office and think about everything else, so many things are, you cannot outlaw hypnosis. There are some countries, oh, hypnosis is illegal then you have to ban movies then you have to ban driving then you have to tell people they can't be afraid of stuff well that'd be nice actually you can't it's a naturally occurring hypnotic phenomenon we're just a group of people who have learned how to do it on purpose but yeah the one with the history well because of this i'm going to spin that to be every reason why you're already doing this stuff i'm going to show you how to do it better Specifically, back to the original question though, what are your professional backgrounds? What did you used to be before you grew up and decided to be a hypnotist? Jason. Treat water. Yeah. Ooh, okay, that's a new one. So you're basically water treatment in terms of making sure it's clean and sanitary. This one's gonna be a bit of a leap, but we'll make it work. So, um, and I'm looking for the characteristics of the job to see what is this like? Because as a person who works in treatment facilities in terms of, it's government job basically? Yeah, yeah working for the government. There's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> working for the government as a water treatment specialist, part of my job was balancing several responsibilities all at once. So on one side of things, the bureaucratic nature of what has to happen to get any specific task done, as well as the individual specifics of actually studying that sample of water and defining whether or not it's good, bad, or something in the middle. So what's interesting is from that background, as I was learning hypnosis, what's interesting is finding that what we would find in the water was just simply a characterization of what the water sample was on that given day. So very often in life, we find the scenario that we start to label ourselves and generalize our traits. I'm an anxious person. I'm a nervous person. I have a horrible memory. And these may be true statements, but they're only true of specific points in time. So to actually treat some of the issues from your past as if that's only a, you're nodding and smiling already, to treat it as if it's just a specific sampling of, well, that may have been true in that moment. However, here's an area that I studied and the water was contaminated and we called in the appropriate teams to come in and do the appropriate cleanup, and now the water is good. So the simple thing is I can tell you From my perspective, there's nothing wrong with you. You've gone through some experiences that the sampling on that specific day, ooh, the sampling on that specific day may not have been exactly what we wanted it to be. But that sample is absolutely no reason why things are contaminated the rest of your life. Let's use that moment and challenge to be every reason why we can go in and clean up what needs to be cleaned up. Yes. Booyah! Awesome. To help you to go in. <laughs> to help you to go in and make the changes necessary to let things be clean and flow properly from this point forward. Yeah. Boom! Yeah, it's going to be on the podcast, and I'm going to make the video of this available as well. Give me another. This is fun. <laughs> manicurist. Manicurist. It doesn't work for manicurist. Go home. No. <laughs> right. I've, I've been a counselor for 30 well, years. Well, I mean, that's the exact tie-in for manicurist. That's so much of what oh, you do. Yes, yeah. And could you also begin to politely, yet maybe slightly inappropriately, but kind of okay, build the expectation for ongoing services? Many people don't realize this, but as they're going to get their nails done, you know, once they... have f- once. Many, you're going to hear some transitional stuff in terms of some NLP principles inside of this. Many people find that as they find that person that they're really comfortable working with, you begin to work with that person for the rest of your life because you find that they are the right match to work with you. So what was interesting as a manicurist, I really didn't have to find that many clients. You know, when you find someone that you are comfortable with, you kind of want to keep going back over, I'm linking it now to build the expectation of ongoing services, if appropriate. Though very often, you know, it ain't just about the nails. You know, we're sitting there and they're just opening it up and they're telling me. So in many ways over the years, I found I just had this unconscious ability to be that counselor, to say the right things in the right moment. And in recent years, by studying hypnosis, it was that discovery that, wow, I'm already doing a lot of this stuff already and getting results even better now. So by doing these techniques consciously and competently, the difference is now I'm getting even better results and I'm finding that people are wanting to open up other changes in their lives that they're ready to create. What's the work you do with dogs? Our dog grooming and daycare. Yeah. daycare. So the interesting thing about working with dogs is that they are so receptive. They are so responsive to everything around them. You know, it's that thing about your dog is never going to lie to you. Well... You know, the moment I come home and my dog has gotten into something, we know right away. So what I've learned is over the years, even whether it was the dogs I've owned or ones that I've worked with, even over a short span of time, that ability to open up my own sensory awareness and be able to pick up all the intricate details of what's going on and realize the places that need to be fixed, the places that, I don't want to use the word fixed, <laughs> the places that things need to be resolved. So what's interesting is is I've now begun to make a rather interesting transition and work with people, throwing a joke. On one side, for the most part, they smell a little bit better. (laughs) On the other side of things, have you ever had that moment where somebody is saying something, yet their body language is projecting something entirely different? You know, it's those places that I've really found that specialty over the years where maybe that thing that someone is calling about is just the symptom of a bigger thing that needs to be addressed and by helping that person to go into the hypnosis process and resolve things at deeper levels of their mind creates a much better level of change that better prepares them to go on and live the life that they want to live. So I'm looking for what is the through line, what is the connection that's possible and from this again it's where I'm looking for what is the thing we can begin to plagiarize respectfully. What can we model from your excellence that's already there to let that be every reason why you were ready to make this change. That's the filter that I'm always working on. I finally run into the guy, and I just had to crack the joke about my style of it. It's like, did we break up? Are we fighting? <laughs> and he just went, "Who are you?" He goes, "I'm Jason and He goes, "I'm an asshole. I'm sorry." And I will never do that to somebody again. You were right. I was wrong. It's like, well, that was easy. (laughs) It's like, that's how communication should go. Thanks for listening to the Work Smart Hypnosis podcast at worksmarthypnosis.com. Jason Lynette here. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for participating with this program. As you've enjoyed it, hop over to the iTunes listing. If you just simply type in WorksmartHypnosis.com forward slash iTunes, that'll take you right over to the iTunes listing and leave your feedback there. We've got a couple of dozen of five star reviews over there. Love to hear your feedback on this program. For more information like this content that you've just heard as well, I'd encourage you to head over. to hypnoticworkers.com. This is my online access to my hypnotherapy training content. It's all about updating the way we talk about hypnosis, revitalizing some strategies and ways to get even greater results, and folding in this contextual point of view to completely negate that old out-of-date question. Hey, I need a script for this. As we learn to rethink about how we talk about hypnosis, how we approach the change process, it makes us so much more effective. Get better results, get even better in hypnosis, and really improve your skills. Hypnoticworkers.com. See you next time.